Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney, by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld, and Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We wanted to share some Torah with you this morning in the form of um, small bits and pieces from each of us, of the of the three rabbis who are rabbiing at this service, all from the same section of Parshat V'halotecha, um, which we each studied individually, but studied on the same section of the Torah. Um, and I suggested to my, um, I love this word, frolics, friend, friend colleagues. <laughs> Not a great word. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's adorable. Um, <laughs> to my chavra, that's the English word for chavra, I think. Um, uh, this section of a parsha, which I love so much, it's narrative. I guess that's why I like it, because not all of Bamidbar is narrative. If you want to follow along in this section that I'm pointing to, it's on page 825 in uh, the Eitz Chaim. It's chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 31 and 32. I'm going to share a small bit of this now, and then you'll hear a little later from Rabbi Kligfeld and at the end of services from Rabbi Schatz. This is the part of the story where Yitro, who goes by many, many names all throughout the Torah, the father-in-law, Chotno Moshe, the, the father-in-law of Moshe, he says, I'm leaving. I'm going home now. My time has come. And Moshe says, oh my gosh, please don't leave me. <laughs> Something like that. And I want to share with you a very small bit of Torah on that moment. And my frolics are going to share other Torah on that moment. Here's the piece of Torah that stands out to me. It comes from the Or Achaim, but he actually brings Torah from another, yet another rabbi. So he points out one piece of this verse that has to do with Moshe's response. You have to know first what Yitro said. So Yitro said, in response to Moshe saying, we're going, come with us. Yitro said, I'm going back to my land. El Artsi, the El Moladeti, Elech. And he said, Al not Otanu. That's what Moshe said. Al not Otanu. Don't leave us. Na is Moshe's word for please. Right? Kind of like the word that he uses for please heal Miriam, my sister, right? We all never found Allah. This is, this is his word for please. So the Orachayim picks up on this and he says, this is Moshe's way of saying, don't even leave us temporarily, Yitro. Don't even leave us for a little bit, Yitro. I need you. And the Orachayim says that according to Rabbi Eliezer Hamodai, this was the conversation that happened between Yitro and Moshe. Yitro said this, A light is only useful in dark places. A light is only useful in dark places. I'm going back to my land. I've done things here. But I'm a monotheist now. I've become one of you. I'm going back to my people. Remember, this is our tradition. Imagining Yitro here. 
Our tradition wants to imagine that Yitro wants to go back to his people and be a light unto his nation. So Yitro says, a light is not useful unless it's in a dark place. And Moshe says back to him, that's not true. He basically says to him, you can see the moon in daytime. He says, you have helped me. Look at what you have done for me. You have done tremendous things for me in this place. Both of them have merit in their arguments. It's true. It is true. And I want us to use this Torah to reimagine what this word luminary means. What does it mean to be a luminary? I've used that word a lot this year as I thought about the people, these interviews that I did this past year on my podcast. I used the word luminary. And as I read this particular commentary, I reimagined that word. What does it mean to be a luminary? It's both useful and useless to be among already enlightened uh-huh, people. Okay? Don't think that there's nothing more that you can do when you're already in a good place. There is always more work to do. Don't get too comfortable either because it might be time also, as Yitro knew and did, to go back to your place and to go back to your people and to do more work because it's true that a light certainly shines brighter in a dark place. A couple of years ago, uh, Dr. Rothboom, our head of school, had a really interesting idea that she heard um, from other folks that she was speaking to and wanted to put in place at Pressman, which is to invite onto the uh, education cabinet, the board of Pressman Academy, someone who is not a parent, not a past parent, not an alumni, just a local member of the community, of the, of the wider community, not necessarily someone who is Jewish, who might have something interesting to say about how a school was governed. Right? Normally, the, all the members of the Board of Trustees at Temple Beth Am, maybe appropriately so, are members of the community. And before this, every member of the Education Cabinet was directly connected, was a constituent or a past constituent or a future constituent of the school itself. What would it mean to bring someone onto the board who had no previous connection to the school, but who might be able to offer insight because of experience that he or she may have had in other similar institutions. They identified someone to add to the cabinet. I think the person was on the cabinet for two or four years, I don't remember. And it was really a credible um, experience. I don't remember exactly why that um, was not continued. Actually, maybe it's still being thought of. But I remember hearing from Dr. Rothman from others that there were two things that were happening simultaneously by having this outsider, as it were, coming inside to share with us about how we should operate this part of the institution. One was that the name and the renown of Pressman Academy grew because all of a sudden you had someone else who up until that per- that point had had no real intimate knowledge of the institution, who therefore had no reason to speak positively of it, who was now invested in the future of the institution and became a bit of a mouthpiece, a spokesperson, not in any kind of formal capacity, but when this person would have an opportunity to speak about local schools and local Jewish schools out there in the community, Pressman was on his lips. So we 
received from this person a certain amount of PR. And in addition, because the person had no um, stake in the matter, didn't have a child in the school or a former child in the school, was able to look at issues that the school was dealing with as utterly objectively as possible. To have an outside view of something intimate brings a second layer of insight because the person is not all caught up in what we are all caught up with when we are caught up in something that's close to us. And so what this person contributed around the table could not have been contributed by anyone who was paying tuition at that school or who was a parent or a past parent at that school and contributed invaluable things. Those two points are similar to the first two things that Rashi says on the very set of lines that Rabbi Chorney was speaking about. This moment that Moshe begs Yitro, please don't go, please don't send us off in the desert without you, we need you as one of us. The words are very interesting, and I forgot to, what's the verse, chapter verse, remember, Rabbi Chorney? 1031. So chapter 10, verse 31, right. Vayomer al-natazovotanu, Rabbi Chorni focused on that. Moshe said, please, please, please don't leave us. Ki al data, for verily you know, chanotenu bamidbar, you know our way through this desert better than we do because this is your home. Vehayita lanu le'enayim. Pretty simple Hebrew words that Rashi says could mean many multiple things. Vehayita, and you will be Lanu, for us, le'enayim, eyes. The word v'hayita can be understood in both future tense and past tense. I won't get into the intricate biblical grammatical details as to why, but it can mean, and you uh, will be, and you were. Rashi says the first way of understanding this verse is that, why is Yitro significant to be a part of the Israelite community? Because he was an outsider who was witness with his own eyes to this miraculous emergence of a slave people into the desert to receive a text and to begin a relationship with God and to have someone who was not part of it say, yes, this is real, yes, this is significant, yes, I believe in it, adds a certain amount of gravitas to the very enterprise. So you've been eyes that in some ways are more significant than what we saw in Sinai because you saw that we saw it at Sinai and you believe us, we're a real people and we deserve to exist. That's Rashi's explanation number one. Rashi's explanation number two reads the verb in the exact opposite tense. Not vihayita and you were, but using this form called the vavhaipuch and you will be, meaning... We can't possibly govern, govern ourselves through this desert without an outside influence. There's already bickering. I'm related to half the people I'm leading out of Egypt. We're too incestuously involved. And even though you're my father-in-law, you have an outside perspective as maybe you might be a monotheist, but you're, you're not an Israelite. And your ancestors are not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you weren't enslaved. And you know the land that we are traversing through differently than we possibly can. And therefore, you're going to be for us a set of eyes and ears and instincts that we could not possibly provide on our own. 
These first two commentaries of Rashi remind me how significant it is to resist the urge to keep those on the outside from joining, and I'm using that as a very general category, because sometimes when you invite the outsiders to join, you benefit. You benefit because you have a sense of renown that could not possibly have been produced only by your own, and you're able to have someone else see things clearly on your behalf. If you stay siloed, if you stay in your own echo chamber, if you make your boundaries too unrelenting, it's going to be a stifling reality, and you're going to be lost. According as a, the words of my dear friend Rabbi David Ingeber, before there was Har Sinai, before there was the mountain of Sinai, there was Har Yitro. There was a mountain of Yitro. Before the Israelites were able to actually appear at Sinai, there had to have this be this relationship, this encounter with an outside voice, an outside outside influence, priming the pump for the true revelation. Switching modes for a second before I bring them back. This past week at Temple Betham in the morning, we had a hard incident which might happen more and more frequently as our city becomes uh, more of a challenging place to live in, both when it comes to race relations and and uh, political um, forces that are shaping our reality, and also when it comes to the many, 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 many unhoused people in our city who live amongst us, who we sometimes step over on the way to our homes or on the way to the 7-Eleven or on the way to shul. They're human beings who do not have housing and some of them do not have full mental and psychological wellness. Before Daily Minion was going to start one of the days this week, a local man who I, who I had not seen before, who was clearly unhoused, and I would add, clearly emotionally and psychologically unstable and unwell, showed up at the front security gate and asked to come in for services. Unkempt, possibly had spent the night in the in our cutout area by the, the garbage bins in front of Temple Betham and made the claim that he wanted to come in and pray. Knew it was a shul, used the right language. This is a sanctuary. Why can't anyone just come in? And our security guards were faced with a really hard decision. 20 minutes later, 500 kids were going to be walking through those doors. And almost by definition, security guards are there not to protect those beyond the borders, but to protect those within the borders. And people obediently and rightfully do their jobs. And yet we're a sanctuary. And this was a Jew. And a Jew who knew it was time to pray. And wanted to come in ostensibly to be in or near, in a sanctuary near Jews and offer words up to the Holy One. The security guard denied him entrance because he couldn't be the security guard could not know for sure whether this person was well enough, stable enough to be predictable once inside the building. But it was a painful episode for that security guard with whom I've processed this. It was a painful episode for me to hear about it afterwards and a painful episode for some of the people who were adjacent to it. And I've heard from some members of the community, including people who were there that day, saying, wasn't there a better way to handle that? Could we not have stretched a little bit to provide yet more space for the other and to see them in our midst. I said that Rashi said two things on this 
set of words. He says three things on the set of words. The last way that Rashi interprets the words, the hayitu, the lanu le'inayim, Rashi kind of switches the l of le'inayim almost to a b in terms of its meaning, and you will be for us be'inayim. We're going to see you. You're going to be in our eyes. Right now, we're no longer the oppressed ones. We're free. And we're on the way to a great destiny land of Israel. We have God behind us. You, Yitro, are the one who might be more outside and vulnerable. And we want to protect you. We want you to stay with us, not only so that we can be guided by your eyes, but that you can be seen in our eyes, and we can uphold you as you continue to build your life and your tribe. These are very, very hard issues. I'm not standing up here in a mini Dvar Torah to offer a pat explanation or a pat solution for how armed security guards protecting a campus that is sometimes filled with 700 people within a city that can sometimes be dangerous with people who are doing unpredictable and violent things. And yet, I think we have to uh, modulate our relationship with the others amongst us, both from the perspective of how they can benefit us and how we can stretch uncomfortably to benefit them. Because it's in the union of those goals that Torah is lived out most beautifully. When I read these verses that, uh, as Cantor Charney mentioned, she, she chose for us to drash on this morning... I couldn't get past the fact that when I read these verses, it made me think of another story. Can someone else guess what the other story is? I'll read the verses for you again, just so you can hear them. I'm going to read them in English specifically because I think it might help with getting you to this other story. Please do not leave us in as much as you know where we should camp in the wilderness and can be our guide. So if you come with us, we will extend to you the same bounty that Adonai grants us. Is there another story that comes to mind that has a similar experience in it? Ruth, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, <laughs> another one of my teachers. Ruth, and I couldn't get past this comparison because as we know from the story of Ruth, Ruth is the one who says, no, I'm going to stay, as opposed to in this moment where Moshe is begging his father-in-law to stay with him. And that juxtaposition to me was extremely interesting, both based on the characters of Moshe and Ruth, but also based on the familial experience, right? As, as we, as we've now heard from, from both other rabbis, Moshe's father-in-law was being asked to stay really because there was some court, some sort of comfort in Yitro remaining with the people, whether it was because he had a different perspective on what was going on or because he was really loved by the people, which is a whole nother drosh for another time that a person in our Torah who is not Jewish is so beloved by our people that he is seen as one of our leaders and also has a whole Parsha named after him where we receive the Ten Commandments. But the most interesting thing for me about this juxtaposition is that when we get these 
this line that Moshe is saying, don't leave us. And if you don't leave us, here are all the things that I'm going to give you. Ruth has not promised anything. In fact, Ruth has promised nothing. Which is why Naomi tells her to go. Because if she leaves, she will have everything. As opposed to staying when she will have nothing. Sforno has a beautiful commentary that I'm only going to read the beginning of. But he understands this leaving as the future, your children. If your children depart, also you will be desecrating the name of the Lord among the nations. As they will say, if Yitro would have seen any merit in this religion, surely he and his sons would not have abandoned them. Now, I think that last piece is unfair, unfair to Yitro. After all, we know that he's done such amazing things for the people and really taken on so much of the of the love and the devotion to a people that he's really not even part of. But the piece of if you depart, then somehow your children will also be departing and will recognize the distance as opposed to this closeness that you've had before you leave us. That also reminds me of Ruth. Because again, she was not promised anything. And in fact, had she left Naomi, maybe she would have been able to continue a life that she knew as opposed to now a life that she doesn't know. And yet, Ruth creates for us this line where one day we'll receive Mashiach. So, in thinking about Moshe to his father-in-law and Ruth to her mother-in-law, even though the experience is different in terms of Moshe begging his father-in-law to stay and Naomi urging her daughter-in-law to leave... The fact that Ruth stays and the fact that Yitro ultimately does not, I think actually shows a closeness in the relationship. It shows how we bring people in and it shows how we connect them to what we want to be part of. So for Ruth, she knew she had to take care of her mother-in-law, even though she wasn't part of that people. And Yitro knew that if he didn't leave, Moshe would not be able to lead for himself. So I hope that you are, from all three of us, able to take something from these verses as a way of recognizing the, the promise and the power that Yitro really had as a character in our Torah. But specifically from this mini-drash that I just gave... I hope you're able to think about the relationships in your life that you need to bring in close or that at times you need to have distance from. Because the distance might bring that which you need closer. In the case of Yitro, he knew that Moshe would be a better leader without him, even if that was hard for Moshe. But for Ruth, she knew to become closer to something unknown, to to an area of her life where she wasn't promised anything, because that was going to be what made her feel fulfilled. So my blessing for you this Shabbat is that you feel fulfilled in the relationships that you have in the Shabbat that you create, 
and that you are aware of the moments that you bring things close and that for your own growth, you push things away. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.